You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Well, this morning, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. It seems to be this this, uh, recurring message this year about legacy. And I love what Pastor T said. She's actually a little bit ill, and that's why she just made it in time to finish communion, and she's gone downstairs, (laughs) poor thing, so be in prayer for her. She's not that well. And uh, she she spoke about when they had the first Passover in Egypt, they had no idea that by carrying on this legacy, eventually Jesus would be doing the same thing, celebrating Passover. And those disciples had no idea that when they continued celebrating Passover, that it would have a continuing legacy that we would be celebrating today. And for some reason, the Lord has his finger on the pulse, and he's saying, look, we need to preach on legacy, that we understand that every decision that you make has a, has a recurring effect, not just for your life. It will affect your family. It will affect your children and the children's children. The Bible talks about this. It says that righteousness will affect a thousand generations. Righteous decisions that you make will affect a thousand generations. But when we make, you know, unfortunately, decisions that are not aligned with the kingdom, it will affect you down to your children's children, right? Your great-grandchildren will be affected. So it's so important we understand that the decisions we make today are going to affect our future and our children's future. And uh, we've been talking about legacy, and uh, a fortnight ago the Lord put in my heart to preach about what you have in mind. If you, have, if you were not here two weeks ago, please download the podcast and have a listen to it. So I wanted to continue on a different tangent, but the same series, the same topic. What do you have in mind, part two? Okay, so if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is, Are you heavenly minded? Are you heavenly minded? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. The the scripture has a lot to say about being spiritually minded, heavenly minded. The word says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, since then, you have been raised with Christ. How many people have been raised with Christ? Okay, just a few hands. So come and see me. We'll do baptism sometime. We'll talk about that. Since then, so before in your former life, right, you did crazy things. But when you came to the cross, when you encountered Jesus and you made a decision for Jesus, you made a decision to die to your old self. You buried it in the waters of baptism. Several weeks ago, we baptized seven people, a couple of them making a recommitment to Jesus. I love that. The hunger in their hearts saying, look, I realize I've made mistakes and rather than just keep going, I'd really like to have a fresh start. Do you, do you mind if we get bapt- rebaptized? Pastor said, go for it. I don't mind. I love the fact that people are coming and recommitting their lives to Jesus. So Paul writes, since then, since that time when you killed the old man and you were raised with Christ, he goes on, this is what you were supposed to do. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So where are you setting your hearts? 
You're setting your hearts on Christ, who's seated above. And he goes on in verse 2. Then he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So he's saying, set your hearts on, earth, on, on things above. Set your minds on things above. So it's speaking about your conscious thought life. It's speaking about your emotions. It's meant to be set on things above. I recently shared this uh, snippet of this message with our leaders. And I felt the Lord, uh, when I was preparing for this, you've got to preach this particular message. So I began to take this one apart. Have a look at the words that he uses, right? And I'm using the NIV translation. Set your hearts. Then it says, set your minds. That's another word for the word mindset. Okay, we all have mindsets. Some of them glorify God. Some of our mindsets are less than glorifying to God. And we end up making these decisions based on mindsets. We end up experiencing emotions and feelings because of our mindset. I see it in my son this morning. So we went out and I decided we're just going to get some coffee injection. You know, I, we like to have our coffee in the morning. My wife reminded me that apparently in uh, back in the time of, uh, I think it's uh, not Babylonian Empire, I'm thinking about the Ottoman Empire, that a woman could divorce her husband if he failed to provide her coffee every morning. She said, true story. So I said, well, woman, we're going to fix that one today. So we went to coffee club. I bought her a coffee, got myself a coffee, and then, of course, a voice in the back. My, my daughter says, well, can I have hot chocolate? Okay, well, you, you'll get a hot chocolate. Then my son doesn't want to miss out, and he wants his thing too. But, you know, I got this uh, coffee club, buy one, get one free. Get, be part of the coffee club, club, okay? 25 bucks, buy one hot beverage, get one free. Save you a packet, gentlemen, okay? Good for the budget. So, but it was only enough because I knew that uh, Eden was barely standing, so she needed one as well, and she's there in the back looking after baby, so I had to get her one. So somebody's going to miss out. It happened to be my son. Now, his mindset is, I am as old, and I'm a, I'm a member of this family in standing, and though I may be short of stature, I deserve what everybody else gets. So he had a mindset that I deserve a hot chocolate to a large one. I said, son, you don't even have a medium one, a small one. You barely drink the whole thing, and you forget. But he had a mindset, I deserve it. It's not about how much I drink. It's about what I deserve. Because his mindset informed him, you deserve this. So now, anything less than short of a hot chocolate this morning is going to cause him to have a bad day. Because his mind was set on having a hot chocolate with marshmallow, by the way. So I got him a baby Chino with marshmallow. And when I came to the car... His lips are quivering, and he's all upset as he looks at me with teary eyes. But I deserve a hot chocolate. Everyone else gets a hot chocolate. Well, son, we actually got a coffee. This is my coffee, and all you got me was a baby Chino, but I'm not a baby anymore. I deserve a hot chocolate, and he had a bad start to the day. So something that was meant to be good, I want to give you a gift, son. I want to give you a baby Chino, ended up being a bad thing. The Bible says that all good things come from the Father of lights above. But if your mindset is bad, no matter how good a gift God gives you, you're going to be upset. How many people have been upset with a blessing and your lips are quivering? You're like, God, why did you do this to me? 
You gave those guys more. This is all I get. And God says, but you deserve nothing. And I gave you something. You see how dangerous our mindsets can become. The free dictionary says this about mindsets. It defines mindset as a fixed, notice this, it is set, a fixed mental attitude. It's not just the way you think. It affects your attitude. It is a fixed mental disposition that predetermines a person's responses to and it predetermines a person's interpretations of situations. How you interpret, how you are going to feel about a situation will be guided by your mindset. If you feel that you deserve something that you're missing out and you see that someone got something and you didn't, or even if you got something, if it wasn't as great as theirs, you're going to be upset, even though you didn't deserve it. I'm preaching to someone here today. Our emotions and our feelings, that's our heart. And the way that we think that's our mind are designed to be grounded in heaven. I want you to get this understanding. Whenever Jesus spoke, he was trying to realign us with the way we were always supposed to be from the beginning of time. The Bible says that Adam and Eve had fellowship with the Father every day. They would be spending time with the Father. The Bible says that when they heard his footsteps, they even knew what his footsteps sounded like. That's how often God visited the Garden of Eden. They knew and recognized his footsteps. I want to be so close to God that I recognize the rustle of his feet as he walks by me. See, so many times we are so completely unaware of his presence. The Bible says the earth is filled with his glory. But he wants to fill you even with, with even more glory in you when you are hungry for it, when you are wanting it, when you desire it. And as long as their mind was fixated on him, as long as they had a mindset that was focused on heaven and a heart that was focused on heaven, there was never an issue. See, the, the, the story seems to be really, really short before chapter 3 comes along and the serpent appears in the garden. But what we don't understand is that they're having children, having lots of children, and life was going on. We don't know how long life went on. We just know that around 600, I think it was, before he started having kids. Hundreds of years had passed where they lived in this absolute bliss. So many times in our life, he lived many lifetimes, Adam and Eve, before the devil came in. They enjoyed the serenity. They enjoyed this peace. It was heaven on earth. They never got sick. They never cried. They never had problems with each other. They never got angry. There was never any problem at all. No regret. There was no mistrust. It didn't exist in the vocabulary. But God had just told them, as long as you don't do this one thing, you don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, everything's going to be okay for you. But of course, they ate from the tree of knowledge and everything changed. And it's affected us to this day. And the mission of Jesus was to try to realign us back with the way things were supposed to be. He's saying, listen to these words. It says, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. It's not actually a suggestion. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, 
It is really critical that you understand that your heart and your mind must be set and fixed on things above. Because there's so much in the world that will threaten to rob that from you, to rob you of joy. What you set your mind to will affect your decisions. It will affect your behavior. It will affect what you say. It will affect what you do. It will regulate your mind. It will regulate your thoughts. It will regulate your feelings. I want to give you three things. I'm mindful of time. Three things that setting your hearts and minds on things above will achieve. Here's the first one. When you set your heart and mind on things above, our identity is founded in Jesus. To understand this, a lot of times when we get upset, it's because we're, we're focusing on things below. And it gets us in so unglued, the way that we feel. Things are unfair. Things are unjust. You know, the, the way that people cheated on us. They did this to us. And we're always getting angry. We're getting cranky. We're going through all kinds of emotions God did not intend for us to have. When our identity is based on what the world thinks of us. That's the thing. If, if you're thinking of above, when your mind and your emotions are centered on what happens above, your emotions are affected by what heaven sees in you. Bill Johnson makes this comment. He says, I cannot afford to have a thought about me that he doesn't have about me. When you say to yourself, I'm not good enough, that does not come from the Holy Spirit. Okay, that comes from you. It comes from worldly thinking. God's saying, I love you. I created you. You are special. You have a destiny and a purpose. The Bible is so full of stories of how God begins to realign the hearts and the thoughts of people on things above. Have a listen to this. In Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus was preaching in a home. And there were so many people in this house that it was standing room only, literally standing room only. They could not fit much more than that. And four men realized that Jesus was in town. And they wanted their friend, a paralytic who couldn't move at all, to be healed by Jesus. But they couldn't get into the house. So they decided, you know what? Why don't we just dig a hole through the roof? So they brought this poor guy on a mat, carried him up to the top of a roof, dug a hole through the roof, and put him right in front of Jesus. That shows an incredible amount of faith. And so the man was lowered down, and Jesus, filled with compassion, before he healed him, said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the Bible tells us that these religious leaders that had accompanied Jesus, whether out of curiosity, but the Bible tells us they were jealous of his ministry. So they were probably trying to learn things from him or try to find excuses to shut him down. So they watched what Jesus did before he healed him. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And then they began harboring these wicked thoughts. So they didn't actually speak it out loud. They went muttering to one another. But immediately, because of their mindset, it was not set on things above. It was set on things of the world. The Bible tells us how they vied for position. They jockeyed to be the top guy. They wanted to be the top dog. They wanted respect in the street. If you're a religious leader, depending on your position, they wanted tassels on their robes. So they used to have, uh, you know, today um, Jewish people have prayer shawls. But back then it was woven into part of their clothing. And they would have extra long tassels. So those tassels 
they had extra long tassels because they wanted everyone to know, oh, there goes the rabbi. Look at that man of God. They wanted notice on the streets. And so they were jockeying for these positions. They wanted to be seated at the best places. And so they're harboring this wicked thought to Jesus because, again, they wanted to get the better of Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 9, 4, knowing their thoughts said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? I remember as I came across this passage of Scripture that I had to catch myself for a moment and ask myself that question. Have I been harboring evil thoughts in my heart? You may not consider it evil because you weren't lusting, hope, you know. You weren't having sexually immoral thoughts. You weren't thinking of killing someone. But did you harbor bitterness against someone? Did you harbor anger against someone? And I know, I know. And your thought went a little bit this far, like I hope they just fall through the crack and die. I hope they twist their ankle and break their leg. You know, just, just a little bit. Sometimes. Did you do that? That's called malice. Malice. And I, I know I, I've been sharing with you throughout this year how the Lord's been dealing with my heart. I'm thinking I'm this holy guy. I love you, God. And he says to me, but son, you're harboring bitterness in your heart. What? When you thought that thought, I know it was only a second son, but heaven caught it and recorded it. It's going to be playing over and over and over in the annals of heaven. When you stand before me, I'm going to put this movie screen, and everyone's going to see it, and they'll know what you thought. Do you want me to play the movie in heaven? And I'm just repenting before the Lord. Oh, God, forgive me. I don't want to do this. The religious leaders are harboring these thoughts. It was just so unholy. And Jesus called it for what it is. It is an evil thought. But see, they talked among themselves. And this is the thing. If you talk with your friends, they would say, that's okay. It's okay to harbor those thoughts. So I have it too. So clearly it's okay. And I'm a man of God. So that's okay. But I tell you, when you appear before Jesus one day, he'll call it for what it really is. Evil thoughts. And so Jesus called them out. And the disciples weren't any better than that because the Bible tells us that they too were jockeying for position. James and John, the two brothers, the sons of thunder, they were talking among themselves. Their mother actually did it for them on their behalf, and then they later on spoke up as well. Can we be one of the greatest? Can we sit on your right and your left-hand side, Jesus? We want to be the greatest of the disciples. And they said this all the time, and in one occasion, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and killed, and they're still having this conversation. Well, if you're going to go, can I be the next in line? Like, what are you talking about? Jesus just said he's going to die. Your leader is going to die, and all you can think about is who gets to replace him. Jesus instructed his disciples. He tried to give them an idea. He said, when you go to a party, I want you to not be like the religious leaders. I want you to sit at the foot of the table. See, back in, in the times of Jesus, they had certain place settings. And if you go to one of our Passovers, we'll explain that to you. That there's a head of the table, and, next, and that's a, guest, a seat of honor. And next to, that would be, next to that seat is the MC where Jesus sat. And next to that would be the, the favorite, okay, which was John. By the way, the, the guest, the VIP, was Judas at the Passover, and over on the other side, I know, right, this blows your mind, was Peter at the foot of the table. The person at the foot of the table, their job was to be the servant and to wash people's feet. That's why Peter took offense 
when Jesus stripped down, put on a cloth, and decided to wash their feet. Because Peter's thinking, that was my job. Jesus is showing me up. And he's getting all upset and all angry with what's going on. Jesus saying, look, look, focus on this. Sit at the foot of the table. Choose to sit in the place, the position of humility. That way, when the owner of the house invites you to come and sit closer up in front of all these other guests, you're going to be honored. But if you try and sit at the head of the table, when someone more important and more loved than you comes up, they're going to ask you to move in front of all these people. You'll be disgraced. Find the position of humility. When we set our hearts and minds above, we live and move and act from above. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with him. Do you know how different it is? When circumstances and situations are at your feet and you realize Jesus is with me, he's already worked out a solution for me before I began to pray. Before I began to get worried just that little bit, God had it in his heart, a solution for me. Listen to this. In Colossians 3 verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. There's a new form of idolatry that we don't recognize. If we don't set our mind on things above, we're going to commit idolatry. Because when you set your minds on things above, you're putting God first. In, in Ephesians 5.5, 5, it continues. It says, for this you can be sure. No immoral, no impure, no greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom. Is this okay so far? You guys all right? James, the brother of Jesus, says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? When we were rescued by Jesus, we were rescued from something. And we were rescued to something. See, when Jesus rescued us, he set us free from things. He set you free from guilt. When Jesus saved you, he set you free from doubt. When Jesus saved you, he set you free from depression, from regret, from shame, from condemnation. We're saved from something to something. I'm going to get uh, Nick to come up. Let me go real quick. Just two more things. When we set our hearts on things above, we get three benefits. Number two. Our circumstances are centered on Jesus. See, it's so easy to fall apart at the seams when our focus is on the things of this world. You're never going to have enough. Someone is always going to let you down. Things are always, at some point, not going to work out the way that you want it to. No circumstances, though, ever upset Jesus. Nothing caught him by surprise. Nothing could shift his peace. Why? Because Jesus could sleep through storms. Think about this. Jesus never worried about sinking because he could walk on water. Can you imagine how that would affect your life if you realize God's got everything planned out for you? Nothing can happen without his permission, and he already has a solution for you before the problem ever arose. How would that change your heart? Would that bring you peace? Of course. But when we center on the things of this world and we look at what we don't have, things begin to become unglued very quickly. Let me ask you this question. 
Are your feelings and emotions affected more by the things around you or by heaven? So you've got a choice to make. You can either be a thermometer or you can be a thermostat. See, a thermometer reflects the temperature in the room. But a thermostat sets the temperature. You weren't called to be a thermometer. You're called to be setting the temperature. I pray that in your homes, I pray that in your connect groups, I pray that in church you will set the temperature, the thermostat for worship, to be broken for Jesus, for hunger for Jesus. Here's the third and final point I want to make. When you set your minds on things above, you find your purpose in Jesus. The Bible tells us that before they received the Holy Spirit, when Jesus had left them, the disciples didn't know what to do. So they just did the last thing Jesus said. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Pentecost in power. They didn't know what to do, so all they did was sit in prayer. I want to encourage you. Some of you are wondering, what is God's purpose for my life? Get into prayer. God is going to answer it through his word. Or God's going to send someone to you and will speak a word of life to you. God is going to speak to you in your prayer times. But whatever you do, ask him, what is my instruction for today? Because the thing is, circumstances will change. If your heart is set on the things in this world, you're going to get upset. Life has a way of throwing spanner in the works. Marriages break down. Families are lost. Jobs can be promising one moment and end the next. Possessions can be lost or destroyed. But when the Holy Spirit is in you, directing you in your purpose, He begins calling you out to do the most extraordinary things. I don't want to live an ordinary life. I hope that you have that within your heart to not settle for an ordinary life, but to begin asking God, imploring Him, God, I want to live an extraordinary life. When you face temptation or challenges, your mindset will determine your response. When your identity, purpose, and circumstances are centered on Jesus, He will take care of the rest. Why don't we stand to our feet as we close this morning? Father, thank you for this reminder to not only focus our thoughts on heaven, but to set our hearts, to set our affection, to set our emotions on you. Lord, I pray that our sense of worth comes not by what we do, not by what we say, not by our friendships, not by what we own or possess. But Lord, I ask, that as your children, as inheritors of the kingdom, that our minds and our thoughts will be set on heaven where our Father loves us so much and has a plan and a purpose for our life. This morning I pray, realign us back into the kingdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Come on, give a hand to the Lord this morning. Thank you for joining Life City Church. And we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. 
We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.